Hello, my name is Vincent Davis, and I'm a licensed attorney here in California. Today we're going to be talking about foster parents and foster parents' rights. Foster parents are generally defined as those people who care for children who have been taken away from their parents and their family and have been placed in a foster home. Foster parents are generally licensed by the state of California or they're certified by the state of California when they work with a certified foster family agency. Foster parents have significant rights in juvenile dependency cases. Most foster parents don't know that they have these rights because they are often told by social workers or attorneys that they have no rights in these juvenile dependency cases. Foster parents have rights that the court and the law in California has expressed that need to be protected because they are probably the best person who can tell the court and give the court information about each foster child in their care. They are the ones that take care of the child on a day-to-day -day basis, not the social worker, certainly not the attorneys, and not the judge. So judges tend to rely on what foster parents have to say about the children. Generally speaking, and in most counties, I have personally found that social workers and the Department of Children and Family Service, or CPS, sometimes don't want foster parents involved in the case, generally because it's a loss of perhaps power or control over the case. Today, social workers write reports that all judges must consider and it is the social worker, the county social worker, who determines what is put in that report. If the foster parent has things that support or do not support the social worker's conclusions or the social worker's position, or even the parent's or the relative's positions in these cases, it may not make it into that report. So the foster parents have rights where they can come to court and actually present evidence to the judge. The easiest way for a foster parent to do this is to file what's called a de facto parent application. Now, de facto parent has been defined in the world of psychology, and that's been defined by our Supreme Court here in California. A de facto parent is a person who acts as the parent in fact, but is not the biological parent, but acts as the parent in fact on the day-to-day -day care of the child. The de facto parent provides the care, the custody, and the psychological support for the child on a day-to-day -day basis. And in a famous case in California called N. Ray B.G., the California Supreme Court held that indeed foster parents had rights that must be protected. So once you file the application here in California, it's generally a three-part application. The second part is probably the most important part of the application, and that is the foster parent's declaration of what they have done to care for this child on a day-to-day -day basis. For example, provide food, clothing, housing, shelter, uh, emotional support, psychological support, help with the homework, help with the sports activities, that type of thing. The form itself um, that is produced by the state of California and the court system is generally deceptive. You want to make sure that 
when you apply for the foster care, excuse me, when you apply for the de facto parent status, you want to make sure that this section is complete, thorough, and perhaps a little over the top. I've been involved in many cases where I've seen that judges may deny the de facto parent application because perhaps there weren't enough facts to support uh, the de facto parent application. It's my opinion that the law in California says that these types of applications should be liberally granted by the judge, but perhaps in practice they are not liberally granted because there are other people involved in the case that try to oppose the de facto parent uh, application. For example, the social worker may, and her attorney, may uh, oppose the application. The social worker may oppose your application to become a de facto parent. The reasons are could be varied depending on case to case or the facts in each case. Uh, for example, the social worker, social worker may simply not want to lose control of the case in terms of what information is actually provided to the judge. The social worker may fear that additional information from the foster parent may undermine the social worker's authority in the case. Yes, I have seen that or seen circumstances where I thought that was the case. But if we keep our eye on the prize and, and remember that this case is not about the social worker, it's about the child, most people would welcome what the person who takes care of the child on a day-to-day -day basis has to say about how the child is doing. The other person who may challenge your application for de facto parent status may be one of the parents. Sometimes parents and their attorneys feel threatened by another person coming in and vying for custody and visitation. Because generally, foster parents who want to keep the child in their custody or who have concerns about certain types of visitation with the parents, both in frequency and in duration, um, come to court and tell the court that the, either this visitation the child is having is detrimental or it's a very good thing. So sometimes the parents' attorneys will um, challenge your de facto parent status application. More recently, I've been seeing a surprising number of minors' attorneys uh, who challenge your de facto parent status application. And I'm not sure the reason for that. It would seem that they would be open to hear all of the information that a daily caretaker has to say about a child and not challenge the de facto parent application. But minors' attorneys, like parents' attorneys, and like social workers' attorneys, and like social workers, they have their agendas too. So their agendas could be varied, could be something that you would never think of, but they are trying to assert a position uh, for what they believe is the best interest of the child. And you should know that what you think is in be the best interest of the child is not necessarily what they or someone else thinks is the best interest of the child. Recently, someone asked me, why do I have to prepare a de facto parent application to file and to go through a hearing in order to tell the judge what's going on with this child? And from a common sense point of view, that question is a very, very good question. But remember, we're dealing with a courtroom, we're dealing with laws, and laws and procedure don't always match up to what someone might believe is common sense. 
So here in California, the only people that can appear legally in a juvenile dependency case are the social worker, the social worker's attorney, the parents, the parents' attorneys, and the children and their attorneys. Notice I didn't say de facto parents. So in California, you have to make a special application to present to the judge in order to be considered to come into court to present evidence, to present witnesses, to cross-examine witnesses, and in order to do that, you must have the judge's permission through what's called the de facto parent standing. I don't know if this is correct, but I was talking to an out-of-state attorney, attorney recently, and he told me that another state had just passed a law as of 2015 that gave foster parents the automatic right to come into court and act as some type of quasi-party to the case. Uh, and until California, or unless California does something like that, you will always have to file the de facto parent application. There is something in California that um, I find a little troubling, and that is, is that under the California rules of court, you can only make a de facto parent motion at the time of the disposition hearing or after. Sometimes the disposition hearing happens several months after the, children, after the children are removed from the family. And there may be something that the foster parent wants to tell the court or should tell the court. And unless they have that application in to be heard on the disposition date, they will not be able to be heard by the court as a matter of right. If something does come up and you're a foster parent, you should always inform the minor's attorney and inform the social worker. I like to advise my clients to do that, uh, that informing uh, part by email. You'll always have a record of it, you'll always have a record that it was sent, and uh, nobody can later dispute that you did or did not give that information. Now, there's a big myth in California that de facto parent status cannot and should not be granted while the parents are in family reunification services. So as you probably know, family reunification services are, order, are ordered by the court to allow the parent to reunify with the child. A quick example of that is, let's say the child was taken away from the parents because of drug abuse. Um, the family reunification services that are generally provided and ordered by the court are um, drug counseling, drug testing, and parenting classes. If the parents successfully complete those things, then the child or children are returned to the parents. Well, everything during this period, the family reunification period, is supposed to be focused on the child being returned. However, in California several years ago, the legislature um, passed new laws, um, something called concurrent planning. And this is concurrent planning. While family reunification services are being offered to the parents, there is also a concurrent plan, a second train as you will, um, being made to determine or to help determine what's going to happen to the children if the parents don't reunify with, the with their children. So in the drug scenario, 
and I've seen in many cases where parents aren't able to comply with all of the, the requests of the judge in taking clean tests and having clean tests and going to drug counseling to alleviate that problem and get their children back. What happens to the children? Well, in the old days, what used to happen is at the time that the parents' uh, family reunification services were terminated, which was sometimes 12 or 18 months down the road, um, then people started scratching their heads and trying to figure out, well, what's going to happen to the foster child? Well, now that plan is um, determined at the beginning of the case during the disposition hearing. When the judge orders family reunification services, the judge also provides the department and the department and the social workers start um, developing a concurrent plan, a plan that says what happens to the child if the parents don't reunify. And that's where foster parents come in. Generally, if the child is placed with a foster parent and the foster parent is interested in keeping the child on a long-term basis, the social workers start talking to the foster parent about the three types of permanent plans. Foster care, long-term foster care, legal guardianship, or adoption. Now here's where the de facto parent application is extremely important. If you as a foster parent want to have input into what the court orders during this family reunification period, you need to be in court, you need to appear in court, you need to present evidence, perhaps documents, witnesses, videos, that type of thing to the court to support your position of what you believe the best plan for this child is. We talked about those three forms that you had to uh, complete for a de facto parent application. In California, they are known as the JV forms, and you can just Google it, and you need to file the JV 295, 296, and 297. Now, I told you earlier that the 296 was probably the most important um, form or part of this application. Um, if you are going to do this on your own, I suggest that you have it at least reviewed by an attorney before you file it. I've talked to many foster parents who have filed these forms and the judge has just denied them summarily, generally because the right things weren't said and the right evidence wasn't presented by the foster parent in the de facto parent application. Remember I said that these forms are uh, deceptively uh, simple. The other thing that I suggest that you present with your application are legal points and authorities. Legal points and authorities are citations of cases and summary of cases that are provided to the judge and to the, uh, to the other parties to make sure and to remind them what the law is in California. There are very many cases about what the law is in California on the issue of de facto parent status. I told you about the old case, the old California Supreme Court case, NRA BG, which you can Google and read for yourself. But since then, there have been many, many cases that further define and refine what and when a de facto parent application should be granted. So speak to an attorney, speak to someone that practices in this area of law, and make sure that you're filing the right type of uh, application and that it's supplemented with the right evidence and the right points and authorities. Remember that de facto parents have the ability to be present at the hearing, be represented by an attorney, 
They have the right to present evidence, and they have the right to cross-examine witnesses. Generally, in my opinion, de facto parents are entitled to the same procedural rights as natural parents. And some of the procedural rights are that you get notice of the hearings, that you get the social worker's report before the hearing and so that you can read it and make sure that if you need to change or add anything to that report, that you can tell your attorney that these things need to be also presented to the judge. There's one last thing that I want to say about de facto parents, and, and it was something that I had forgotten until I researched this a couple of months ago. If you have a child in your home and the child is moved and returned to the parents or returned to another family member, you still have the right to visit that child. There is a case called N. Ray Robin N. It's a 1992 case. That's N as in Nancy. You can Google it. That says that the court may order ongoing visitation for the de facto parent after the child is taken out of the home. Um, in a lot of cases, and I think it's only human nature, when we take care of children for a substantial period of time, we have a bond with them. We have an emotional and psychological bond. And they have that same bond with you. So in a lot of cases, you having ongoing visitation with that child would not only benefit you, but would benefit the child. And as I said earlier, this case is really about the child. Thank you for watching this video. Should you have the need for any further information, please go to my website. At my website, you will find information on how to attend a free or low-cost live seminar where I personally will be speaking, or you can find a webinar at my website where you can take and get additional detailed information about this topic.